Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Sabrina. Good morning, Christopher. It's Sally. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning. Good morning, All right, how's everybody it's doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I hope that's the truth. I'm looking at the numbers right now, so I can tell you who's doing unbelievable and who's not based on looking at the numbers right now. Hey, um, super excited about this morning's call. Excited about the end of June and the beginning of July. You know, as we look at the end of June and the beginning of July, what are we looking at? I'll tell you what we're looking at is the year's halfway over. It seems like, at least to me, it seems like maybe not just yesterday, but real, real recently ago, we were talking about our goals for 2019. We were talking about our plans. We were talking about a new schedule and accountability. We were talking about interrupting old patterns. We were trying, talking about creating and developing new habits. We were talking about increasing our accountability in areas that growth was really important to us. We were talking about the two or three most important goals that we had for 2019. Seems like not that long ago, we were at the Wealth Bowls launching the new year, celebrating last year, but launching our new year and our new goals and our new vision for what we wanted to achieve. Many of you wanted to get to uh, uh, get promoted to associate or senior associate or marketing director. Many of you wanted to earn your watch. Many of you wanted to earn your S&D promotion. Many of you wanted to have a $5,000 month for the first time in your career or a $10,000 month for the first time in your career or a $20,000 a month for the first time in your career. Many of you wanted to get your personal recruiting numbers up to two, three, four a month consistently, personally. Many of you wanted to, over the first quarter perhaps, get the double-digit recruiting in your base shop and continue to be a double-digit recruiter for the remainder of the year and the remainder of your career. Many of you wanted a part-time, because I know we have a lot of part-timers that are on this call or listen to the recorded versions of it. Many of you on a part-time basis, really, it was important to you to earn $1,500, $2,000, dollars a month consistently in our business as a part-timer and use that to retire your spouse, use that to get out of debt, use that to build your savings, use that to transition from part-time to full-time with us. Many of you wanted to go out and do something you've never done before. Many of you wanted to promote your first senior marketing director or your second or your third, pick up your EMD promotion or your CEO promotion. We started the year with big goals, big plans, a schedule, hopefully increased accountability with our leadership, with our coach, and then getting after that. And the year is halfway done. For some of you, it's like you're crushing it. Some of you are ahead of schedule. Some of you are really, really excited about where you're at and what is next for you and for your team, for you and for your family. Others of us are behind, and we're looking at, like, crud, this year's shaping up a lot like last year. Crud, this year's actually not as good as last year. I'm down over last year. Crud, uh, some of you are looking going, you know what, I'm ahead of where I was last year, but I'm not 
as far ahead as I expected to be. Um, I'm not growing at the rate that I expected to be or need to be. I've got to make some dramatic changes here. And so the halfway point is an important point to reassess your goals, to relook at where are you going? What are you focused on? Here's what I know. Whatever you're focused on, you're going to get more of in life. And for a lot of us on this call, what I can suggest is this. It's not that you don't have the time, the energy, the resources, the skills, the knowledge, the support that it takes to achieve your goals for 2019, I would suggest that you have enough time to still hit them no matter how far behind that you are. But for many of us, we're simply not as focused on the goal as we think we are. Uh, you know, something I just sort, of, just sort of a personal note, I sort of jotted down the uh, just the other day, just sort of a reflection I had as I get a chance to interact with so many different people and sort of reflect on the conversations and see where people are and how oftentimes it's a reflection of where, where a couple of people are in my hierarchy is oftentimes a reflection of where many people are in my hierarchy. That's just been my experience over the years. Um, and I sort of jotted down just an observation I had after chatting with a few individuals. Where the heck did I jot that down? <laughs> I'm, looking through my, I'm looking through my notes in my notes here, I'm like, where is it? I, uh, it's not there. It's not there. My goodness. But if, if, here, like, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll try and do my best to sort of recreate it. Um, basically, is this: is our activity on a day-to-day basis and the results that we get from our activity on a day-to-day basis is a direct reflection, really, of the energy that we bring to our day. Like, each one of you have had, like, days where you're like, man, I just crushed it. My energy was on. I was hitting all the right activities. I was not easily distracted. I was focused on the right activities. I brought the right energy to them. I was excited about doing them. I was excited about achieving them and accomplishing them throughout the day. And, like, I just feel so fulfilled and so energized by the day I put forward. We've also all had days where you go through the day and it was just like, man, it seems like everything I tur- stepped in turned to crud, right? And, and it seemed like, man, I, like as soon as I get started on the right activity, I get distracted by the wrong activity. And I just, my energy just didn't seem to be where it needed to be. And I just seemed to be dragging myself through the day and just looking forward to getting through the day rather than looking forward to achieving anything. I almost avoided some of the big things that I needed to do and I, I got, like, some little things done, and I sort of shuffled some things around. We've all had both of those kinds of days. What, what I think is the procedure to that is the energy that you bring to the day. And I think oftentimes what precedes the energy that you bring to a given day is related to a couple of factors. And one of those factors is what you start the day focused on. What are you looking for? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about as you start your day? And just one of the simple, fundamental, basic reminders that I want to throw out as we start the second half of the year is this. If you get up every day, and in the first half an hour to 45 minutes of your day, you read your goals for the year, and you read your goals for the quarter, and you read your goals for the month, and what's really important to you, big picture, and what you're working towards, just by you just spending a few minutes looking at those words on paper, 
begins to get your mind directed towards that. And as you're directed towards that, you're going to, your emotions, your energy is going to follow that. As we're looking at and reading our goals, our energy tends to be up. We tend to be more excited, more energetic, and more positive. And then as we start our day with that direction, we tend to look for things that help us move closer to that goal. You know, I was, I was reading an, uh, an analogy earlier this week by chance, and what it basically said was downhill skiers, like the skiers that ski downhill but like in rough terrain, like in an area where there's a lot of trees and so forth, and they're sort of hitting moguls and bumps and stuff like that, but it's in an area that's heavily uh, you know, got a lot of trees and it's not well groomed and there's not really paths cut through it. What they teach these skiers is sometimes you go, begin to go too fast. Sometimes you hit a mogul or a bump wrong and you begin to lose control. If you're beginning to lose control, if you're going too fast and you're heading towards a tree, look away from the tree. Look away from the tree. Because inevitably, if you look at the tree as you're careening towards it and you're trying to avoid the tree, because you're looking at the tree, it dramatically increases your odds of hitting the tree. If you look away from the tree, you've got much better odds of avoiding the tree. But when you're out of control and heading towards the tree, our natural instinct is to look at the tree. I've heard the same thing about NASCAR drivers. As if anybody's like taking, like uh, gotten a chance to, you know, taking a NASCAR on a big track, one of the first things they teach you before they let you get behind the wheel is if you start to lose control and you're heading towards a wall, look at the look in the direction that you want to turn the car. As you turn your head away from the wall and then the steering wheel follows, you decrease your chances of hitting the wall. If you're looking at the wall and trying to turn the steering wheel away from the wall, you increase your chances of hitting the wall. And I think the, true is, the same is true for us hitting our day. Some of us start our day, and what's on our minds is our income situation, our bills and our debt, how we're feeling physically or mentally or emotionally, the, the emotional drain of maybe relationships that are in a difficult time right now, with a, whether it's significant others or kids or parents or teammates or colleagues. Like, we oftentimes start the day, and what we're thinking about first is the things that we're trying to avoid. And we start our day with our eyes sort of focused on the things we're trying to avoid, and then we spend our days trying to work to get away from the things we're trying to avoid. Inevitably, we crash into those things day after day after day. And it's the days that we intentionally understand that, yeah, I'm heading towards the wall. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading towards not a good situation financially. My team's heading towards not a good place as far as recruiting numbers that I want, whatever the case might be. I'm heading that towards not a good place in my health. But I choose not to look at those things. I choose to focus on my goals and where I want to get to. I choose to focus my attention away from the problems away from the things that I want to move away from, and I want to focus my attention on the things that I really, really want. And the easiest way to do that is by reading your goals, by reading the things you've written down in your own handwriting that are important to you, where you want to go to, and what it's going to be like when I get there. And reading those and allowing yourselves to emote, allowing yourself to feel emotion about those things and how it's going to feel when I get there. 
by doing that, it changes your energy for the day. It changes the way you're looking at things. It changes oh, actually how your day goes, what you do. Like, I'll give you one more example Sam Lynn shared years ago in training. It, like if you've ever fallen in love before, if you ever had somebody like, like you were just like, you know, cocoa for uh, whatever, the, like bananas about, right? And you were in a job that you really didn't like at all, you didn't care for, but you knew that you had a date after work that day to see that someone special. Like your job can be a complete shit show of just stuff that's really frustrating and aggravating all day long, but you're so focused on when the day is over, what it's going to be like to spend time with that person, that the day just sort of flies by, and all of the irritants of the day don't really irritate you that much because you're so excited about what you're looking forward to. On the other hand, you could have the exact same job, you could have the exact same tasks in a given day, and you're not in love or you broke up with that person three weeks ago and you don't have anything exciting planned at the end of the day, and the day lasts forever, never seems to end. Like in every task, every, dis every distraction, every inconvenience is like a mountain. Those molehills become mountains, and it's like, oh, God, I can't believe they told me to do this, or I can't believe they need this, or I can't believe that's the way someone responded, or I can't believe I have to do this. We can hear you talking, champ. We can hear you whispering now. Better job. Thanks for whispering. Just... Um, it totally changes the nature of the day. And the same is true when we start our day really clearly looking at our goals, thinking about them, and then starting our day. Just that little shift starts our day in a different direction energy-wise, focus-wise, vision-wise. And I want to encourage you to get back to the basics. I want to encourage you to get back to the fundamentals. So what's going on in your business right now or in your home or in your cash flow or in your health isn't related to what I just said. You're looking for a bigger fix. You're looking for a magic you know, a piece of gold, you're looking for a magical idea, and, and really what you need is just that. You need to get back to the basics of reading your, reading your goals, more than your business plan, like your goals, right, and the things that excite you and the direction that you're going and your vision. That, it's more important that I think some of our more tenured and senior people really, really realize. I want to, uh, I, I want to share with you guys, I, I shared with our Chino crew earlier this week a little bit about a meeting I had earlier this week. As, as many of you know, you know what, before I get started, I want, I want, uh, as many of you know, we have a new president at WFG, and that new president is uh, Tom Dempsey. And I got a chance about two, two and a half months ago to have a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with Tom for about 45 minutes that we had scheduled, and I really liked him. And I know when I talked to my let, my let first got a chance to meet him, he said, like, dude, he's unbelievably impressive. And my let's not one to throw around accolades like that if he doesn't mean it. And if there's shortcomings, he's going to be quick to point them out, at least in a conversation with me. He's like, dude is unbelievably impressive. He said, matter of fact, here's how impressive the dude is. He said, my let, this is my let speaking. He said, when I, taught, when I first really got to know the guy, I told him, you're going to have to work on some things because you're almost too polished. Like your background is almost too solid. Your credentials are almost too solid. You're good looking. You're fit. 
like you have a great great way of connecting with people you're intuitive you do a great job of listening you're empathetic you're like you're almost too polished to be real it's almost intimidating to other people and uh, that's a probably about as high of a compliment as my let could pay to somebody and I think in a chance I got a chance to spend about three hours in a meeting there was about ten of us uh, on Tuesday with Tom Dempsey down in Irvine and I got chance to go out to uh, Javier's in Irvine in the Irvine spectrum and spend a couple hours with him at dinner and uh, really really just an impressive guy I think we're lucky to have him now I'm a big Joe DePaulo fan I think Joe DePaulo did a lot of terrific things for our company a lot of terrific things for our company and I could go down the laundry list of accomplishments of things that he achieved as president of WFG that really made a significant difference with our company but I want to talk to you a little bit about who Tom Dempsey is what his vision is for the company where we're at where we're going next and I also know that anytime there's a transition like that it creates some questions for people it's much like um, my daughter was my daughter told my daughter Lexi told Michelle that she was going to be home last night like around 1130 ish and she didn't get home till one so immediately when my when Michelle wakes up and she checks the time and she sees that Lexi hasn't been home yet her mind wanders and drifts to worst-case scenarios she was literally blocks away at a friend's house and all was good but the mind immediately when we don't know the answer to something what's going on we tend to drift to worst-case scenarios and so <clears throat> I, I know I've just talked to some people and some SMDs throughout the hierarchy over the past couple of weeks that they're like what's going on why did Joe leave and why is this going on and why is that going on and they're they're like scared and concerned when there's nothing to be scared or concerned about I, like I've been here through Hubert Humphrey um, Monty Holm Tim Stonehawker uh, Jack Linder Joe DePaula and now Tom Dempsey is the sixth president that we've had in the 20 years that I've been here the sixth so this is a normal transition and the fact of the matter is sometimes you just need a new coach sometimes you need a fresh voice sometimes you need somebody new at the top sort of leading things in a, in a new way and it's not a knock on the old guy you know you look at Pat Riley with the Lakers the Showtime Lakers like he did an unbelievable job with the Lakers but there's a period of time where that team was together for so long with that coach they just needed a fresh voice they needed a different way of looking at things and so um, I'm really I'm really I'm really happy about all of the things that Joe DePaula did while he was with us but I'm really excited about where Tom Dempsey is and the way he's getting started what's next for our company what's next for our hierarchy what's next for our team and so as you begin to look at things like I want you to think back at a time maybe when you were in school maybe it was high school or college and it was the end of semester and you had finals and like you basically did nothing but study you were in study groups <coughs> you're doing pulling all-nighters you're drinking caffeine in every imaginable source that you could get your hands on it uh, you were bathing in a limited basis eating in a limited basis it was pretty much straight caffeine and studying two four seven for whatever period of time was necessary and then at the end of the semester you're like man I nailed it I gave it my best shot in every one of my end-of-the-year projects or papers all of my finals like I nailed it but then once the, you take the last final and you sleep for like 36 hours straight and then you wake up and start looking around you realize man everything else is pretty much in chaos 
Like I completely neglected the laundry. I completely neglected grocery shopping. I completely neglected my pets or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my family or like I, or, or my health. I haven't been in the gym in weeks. Like I just completely neglected all these other things because I was all in here. And so I got the results I was looking for, but everything else is in chaos. Or maybe you had some aggressive exercise goals. And I know these seasons of my life, and I've seen it in others, where like all of a sudden you go from I don't have time to go to the gym to uh, you're going to the gym twice a day. You're hitting the gym for an hour, hour and 15 minutes in the mornings, first thing when you wake up, and you're doing the heavy, heavy lifting, intensive weight workouts. And then later in the day, at the end of the day, when you're done with work, you're going to put an hour in, in cardio. You're going in and hitting the cardio. And then you're spending extra time on, like, meal prep and going to vitamin stores and buying supplements, and you become, like, obsessed with your exercise goals. And over a period of time, you hit that goal. You lose the weight. You get in the shape. You get the body fat you're looking for, the dress size. But you look around you and, like, man, I've really neglected other areas of my life. I put so much into achieving this. This became so important to me that I sort of neglected key relationships, or maybe I even neglected my work a little bit, or uh, just other areas of my life. Or maybe it's a health or a relational crisis. You, your, your marriage, your relationship, or one of your children it, you're having challenges with, or a parent, or maybe it's health-related, maybe it's just a relationship issue, and all of a sudden you start putting all of your time and energy into that for an extended period of time because it needs it and it deserves it. But once you get through that crisis, you look around and go, man, I haven't been to church in three weeks. I haven't been to the gym in six weeks. Man, it's like uh, all we've been doing is eating out. I, I can't remember last time I bought groceries and we actually had a home-cooked meal. And you begin to realize that, yes, I made it through this period of time and I, and I grew tremendously and I conquered the goal and I achieved, but everything else sort of fell apart. You look at uh, firefighters, and I was <clears> – <throat> firefighters, we think of firefighters, and when, when you think of Stephen Covey and sort of his four quadrants of time management, uh, you know, if you go across the top, there's two quadrants, and it's, there's things that are important, and there's things that are not important. And then when you go down the, the side, the left-hand side, there's things that are urgent, and there's things that are not urgent. And so we think of the most important work that firefighters do, and it's in that first quadrant of things that are both important and urgent, and we call those putting out fires. Putting out a fire is both an urgent thing to do and an important thing to do. But when we learn really about time management and achieving at a higher level, the best fire departments aren't those that spend a lot of time in that quadrant. The best fire departments are those that spend time in the quadrant called important but not urgent. Well, what activities could a fire department do in a, in a – quadrant that was important but not urgent. And that's where they spend time in fire prevention. When they spend fire, the time in fire to pre prevention, it creates less urgent important issues for them to deal with. And so one of the ways that they spend time in fire prevention is, like in the case of forest fires, is they'll go and have controlled burns. They'll go and have areas where like all of the brush needs to be cut back or burned back or all of the dead under, uh, you know, under, uh, underbelly of the forest floor, if you will, where limbs and leaves and brush and all that sort of stuff has fallen and died and accumulated. They go through and have massive cleanups of those areas or, or controlled burns of those areas, which help to make the forest healthier. So 
I want to share, I share with you those analogies why. <clears throat> because in getting a chance to spend uh, five hours with Tom Dempsey on Tuesday, I wanted to share with you sort of where we're at as a company and sort of what's next. And so I've shared with you before, and these statistics are a little bit old, and I apologize, I'll get new updated ones because the new ones are even more impressive. And I apologize if you've heard me share this more than once. But our business is built not by saying new things to old people, but by saying old things to new people. Our business is based on spaced repetition where we hear something enough times to where we can articulate it and we own it. We haven't just heard it before, but we know it and we own it. <clears throat> and as I look at this, here's what happens, I think, all too often. You're, uh, like I've been married for almost 21 years now, and so Michelle and I have been together, like, I don't know, probably 23 or 24 years, and we've known each other for probably like 26 years, something like that. Um, over that course of time, it's natural in a relationship that lasts that long to take each other for granted. For things that in the early stages would be like, you'd be awestruck by and amazed, like, wow, holy cow. <clears throat> After a while, you become desensitized to how special something is. That happens in our relationships with our significant others. Oftentimes, it happens in our appreciation of our parents. Sometimes it, it happens in other areas of our life. When we're around something long enough, we become desensitized to it, and it loses a little bit of the glitter. It loses a little bit of the specialness. <clears throat> and so I want to share with you a stat I've shared with you guys many times before, and it's a stat, these are stats that I think it's really easy for us to become numb to, and it sort of goes in one ear and out the other. But I want you to think about it as if you're hearing it for the first time. I want you to think about it in the context of people who don't work for our company, who aren't part of our company. I want you to think of it in the context of <clears throat> the spouse, the brother-in-law, the sister-in-law, the neighbor, the colleague at work, the person you know from church, the old buddy of yours that is constantly sort of nitpicking and in your ear and being like a little bit critical of this thing you're in or what you're doing or like all that sort of, they're sort of like, you know, they're giving you a little, they're doing a little bit of trash talking about your WFG business. And I want you to think like if they knew these numbers and they knew for a fact that these numbers were the truth, that they were factual, would they be singing the same song to you? Would they be saying the same things? So over the course of the past five years, and these numbers are a little bit low because they've improved and I don't have the updated numbers. Uh, think about this. Our company was founded in 1990, so 29 years ago. And so the stats I'm about to give you do not include, I repeat, they do not include the first 24 years of our company. All they're, all they're including is the last five years. So over the last five years, we've had over 1,320 new people for the first time earn $100,000 in a year. 1,320, in addition, to all of the people that did that over the four, first 24 years, <clears throat> we've had 1,320 new ones over the past five years, which is uh, two, that's like, uh, what, three, it's, it's like 260, 270 people a year. That's like 20, 25 people a month earning $100,000 a year with us for the first time. We've had 375 people in the past five years earn over a quarter million dollars a year for the first time. Doesn't include all the quarter million 
earners uh, like myself and others that did it more than five years ago. So quarter million dollars for the first time, 375 people over the past five years. That's 71 a year. That's six people a month. So just between those two stats, like <clears throat> how many other companies are you aware of right now that has somewhere around 23, 24, 25, 26 new people earning $100,000 every month and has somewhere around six people every month earning over a quarter million dollars? How many other companies do you know of that are doing just that? 25 people earning $100,000 a year for the first time per month and six people per month earning a quarter million dollars a year for the first time. And of the companies that you know of, which you probably can't even think of one, but <clears throat> if you could think of one, how many of those companies would hire you based on your resume? And how many of them would hire you in a position that gave you a chance to be one of those two individuals? If there was even a company on the list, I got a funny feeling that the list just got smaller. We've had in the past five years 115 new people earn a half million dollars or more in a year. 115 new people in the past five years, that's 23 people a year. That's two people a month earning over a half million dollars a year for the first time. So we've got two people earning over a half million dollars per year per month. We've got six new people earning over a quarter million dollars per year each month. And we've got like 25 people earning over 100 grand per year for the first time per month. <clears throat> we've got 73 new three-quarters of a million dollar earners. That's six plus a year. That's one every other month going over three quarters of a million dollars. Do you know how much money that is? Like, that's over $60,000 a month of income. We've got one every other month doing that for the first time. We've got 46 people who've gone over a million dollars a year. That's nine per year. Nine people per year going over $83,000 a month of income. We have nine people per year doing that. Like, what company in the world are you aware of where that's happening? You've got 25 people uh, over the past five years or five people a year, almost one every other month, earning $1.5 million in a year. And then we've got 16 new $2 million a year earners, three new $5 million a year earners, and one fifteen. <clears throat> I share that with you because I think sometimes we become numb to how many people are winning and what our chances are of winning here and winning super big compared to a whole bunch of other places. And we become numb to it, and we lose. it loses its sparkle, it loses its intrigue, it loses its magic. <clears throat> so over the past five years, here's what that is from Tom Dempsey's perspective and from my perspective as well. <clears throat> WFG went through massive explosion over the past five years, massive explosion. It's much like you putting all that time and energy into the finals. And then you look around, and after the finals are done, you realize, holy, holy, holy cow, I've neglected a bunch of other things. I got sloppy with a bunch of other things. I forgot to give other things that are important time and attention. I need to pay attention to them too. Some of you, you've built your team. Some of you, your recruiting numbers explode. You've got more and more people joining the team. You've got more and more people that are uh, getting licensed and becoming field trainers. You've got more and more people doing appointments and one-on-ones and interviews, and things get really sloppy. And you need to really tighten up your eight-speed filters. You need to really tighten up your production pipeline. 
you need to really tighten up like your licensing flowcharts, right? Um, because things just get out of hand when you go through massive growth. Here's what Tom Dempsey saw when he started coming around. First of all, he started he started walking around the home office, and here's what he found. He goes, man, it looked like a bunch of homeless people were living there. Well, that's an odd statement. Now, like, the home office is a pretty building. Why would he say that? Because when he started going around the home office, I want you to think about this. Hubert Humphrey paid for that building, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And the building was originally created to house 500 employees. Well, what's happened since the early 1990s? Well, we know a couple of things that have happened. One of the things that's happened is that technology has made us far more efficient and far more productive, and we can get more done in shorter periods of time. We can get more done with fewer people. So over the years, I don't think we were ever at 500 employees. I think we might have gotten up around 350, maybe even close to 400 in the late 90s, early 2000s. But as, as computers and technology started taking off, those numbers started going down. We just didn't need as many people in the home office. And so today we're at about 215 uh, home office employees. That, but what he found, because the building was big enough for 500 people, and there's all these extra offices and all these extra cubicles that aren't being used, what happens is, like, you get a new computer, and rather than throwing away the old computer, you just go, well, I'm just going to put it in this office that nobody, nobody's using. We may need it later. I'm just going to put it in this cubicle over here. <laughs> same happens with fax machines. The same happens with printers and copiers and excess files and excess paperwork. And so stuff just starts getting stored everywhere because nobody's really using the space. So Tom came in and said, wait a minute, this is like, number one, we're not working in great conditions here. Number two, we get like our home office employees are an important part of our success. They deserve a better working environment. And number three, the oldest trick in the book is if you want to provide great service to your clients, you've got to take great care of your employees. Because employees that aren't taken great care of aren't going to take good care of their clients. But if you take great care and put in the extra time and energy to take great care of your employees, those are out of their way to serve your clients for you. And so he went through and he started doing a number of things. Number one, they cleaned house and got rid of a bunch of crap that was just, you know, stored everywhere. Number two is he sold the building. What he realized is why are we, why are we paying to maintain a building for 500 employees when we really don't need it? So he sold the building. They've moved all of the employees to the third and fourth floor. They've taken the revenues of the sale and they're completely renovating the first two floors to make it as high-tech, as employee-friendly, as great of a working environment as they possibly can for their employees. And once the renovation is done, they're going to move all of the employees down to the first and second floor, and the new owners of the building will lease out the third and the fourth floors. He's taken all of the employees, and he started to do a monthly breakfast where everybody has breakfast together. He pays for everyone's breakfast, but it's a chance for everybody on the team to build relationships together and for him to get a chance to hear what people, what's, what people are excited about, what their concerns are, what's really going on at a grassroots level with the company. He began to, he, he began to have town hall meetings where he began to let the home office employees know what's going on. And he said it was shocking to him at the beginning of the first home office employee, uh, uh, home office town hall meeting when he was introduced, he, he goes to do the whoosh and nobody knew what the hell he was doing. Like, none of the employees of the home office knew what that was. 
And so what he began to realize is we've got a real big disconnect between the home office employees and the field force. And we need to close that gap. He's like, our home office employees, if they're an accountant, they know accounting. If they're in commissions, they know commissions. If they're in agent relations, they know agent relations. So they know their task, they know their job, but they don't know the big picture of the team that they're on and who we are and what we do. And we need to do a better job of communicating to them who is World Financial Group and what does World Financial Group do and what's the big picture and what's our purpose and where are we heading, what's our vision. Because people always want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And it was almost the opposite. People were a part of their silo. Oh, I'm in the commissions department. And here's what the commissions department does. And so he wanted to create something bigger and better. He went around and he saw a number of people that had tremendous uh, responsibility that had been put on put on their shoulder on their desk that they, like they their responsibilities have increased dramatically over the years but their title and pay had so he went around and he gave some people that were very deserving obnoxious raises not not obnoxious based on what they deserve obnoxious based on what they were being paid for now what he realized is is our home office employees need to feel like they're part of who we are, who you and I are. They need to feel like they're a part of our mission, an important part of our mission, and that they're, that we're all on one team together, and that they've got a voice, and that we're going to treat them like first-class, world-class employees, and that we expect them to treat our agents and our field force the same way. And so he's done some massive changes at the home office that I think are really improving morale in an amazing way. I think it's going to increase the productivity of the home office and the level of support that you and I both get. So that, that was part of really, it's, that was part of the controlled barn. That was part of the cutback. You also look at, we had this big purge. We, we've been carrying a lot of people on the books for too long with E&O. And so people were supposed to be cut off at a certain amount of not paying their errors and emissions insurance, and they weren't being cut off. So they were, being, they were hanging around longer and accruing more debt. And then unfortunately, that debt was rolling up to too many of the MDs and the SMDs, so we had a big purge. We went from like, I don't know, 55,000 licensed agents to 45,000 licensed agents. But the goal is we want to have more productive agents. And we want to cut people off sooner because the sooner we cut people off, the, the, the easier it is for us to get them reinstated with us if that's what their goal is. I know of just two people in the Chino office just in the past week that just got reinstated. And I think part of the reason they got reinstated because when they got terminated, the balance wasn't so far out of control that they could never reasonably pay it back. So we just had two, two part-time individuals who just got reinstated, and they were excited about getting reinstated. Um, that's important. The securities license minimums, that used to sort of be a joke because nobody really respected it. At the end of the year, if the branch manager wrote up like uh, an excuse why the, the securities rep didn't hit their minimums and then put together some sort of makeshift plan for how they were going to do it the next year, people kept getting extensions. So with the new broker-dealer, what we're looking at doing is we're not going to be giving people extensions. Like there's a $2,500 minimum in commissions on a yearly basis, and that's what you need to do if you, need to, if you want to stay securities licensed with us. So you truly can't park your license. It's not good for us as a company. It's not good for the local branch, and it's not good for the registered rep. Um, th those are important changes. So what happens is sometimes people look and go, oh, well, man, it's restrictive. They're making it harder. I, like when I look at the way the company was 20 years ago, they're not making it harder. It was way harder then. We've literally, we were 
talking about and dreaming about when the business would be like this, when the business would be this mature, when we could get updates on the leaders bulletin on a daily basis, when we could get our deposits twice a week and it would be electronic, when you could get paid within a week of submitting your apps, when you could submit an app the day before, same day, end of the month, and get somehow get those points to hit. Like we dreamed of a day when our platform was so robust that we had over 100 companies on it because we didn't 20 years ago. We dreamed of having an environment like this where the economy is the best it's ever been for what we're doing. The middle class is squeezed more today than it's ever been in our country's history. You look at the middle class, even though incomes are starting to grow for middle class people, with how much pressure and responsibility has been put on them over the past 20, 25 years, the rich have gotten richer, but the middle class have gotten squeezed more and more and more in the middle. And so the middle class, the people that we serve, there's never been a greater need in the marketplace for our products and services. There's never been a greater need in the marketplace for our opportunity. The market's never been better, so that the products and services that we're putting these clients into, their net worth, their income, their savings, their retirements are growing. The products have never been better. We didn't have products with guarantees when I started. Now we've got these unbelievable products with guarantees and with real legitimate upside market, uh, market potential, equity-based potential. We, we didn't have long-term care writers back in the day and, uh, and living benefits writers that gave people for pennies on the dollar these unbelievably ben unbelievable benefits. So there's never been a better time in our company's history. I have people all the time say, man, I just wish I would have started when you and Maloney and Lori and Nikki and Mark did. Man, no, you don't. You, you, you probably wouldn't have made it respectfully. It was so much harder back then. Like everybody looks back like those are the glory days. <laughs> there was nothing glorious about them then. Nothing glorious about them then. So I'll tell you another thing that we've done as a company that I think is unbelievable, this new WFG launch and how people are, are onboarded into our company and what the website gives them and what it doesn't give them and the simplicity of the licensing and, and them getting licensed before they even come on board with us as an associate. Like, I think that's unbelievable what we're doing. Um, but I want you to understand this. All of these things have been taking place the past six months is Tom coming in and addressing issues that have been there for a while but we haven't paid attention to because, as I was saying earlier, the last five years we've had historic growth and we've had more hierarchies growing bigger. We've had incomes that have never been bigger. We've had more big things going on as a company than we ever have before, more success. But what he's done the past six months is just sort of a controlled burn, cleaned up some things, put some time and energy into some things like the home office and our home office employees that have been neglected for a long time. Put some time and energy into actually putting controls in place so that when somebody racks up three months of email, we really terminate them for their own good, for the MD and the SMD that they're reporting to zone good. And so that we've got these controls in place. Why? So that we can surge again and explode again. And we begin to look at uh, how is that going to take place. There's a couple things that he's talking about doing right now. Number one, I, I like we talked it was pretty candid conversations that we had on Tuesday. Number one, our company, I'll tell you one of the things that we are really, 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 really bad at. One of the things we're really bad at is marketing. We don't do a good job of marketing. Like, we'll come out with bombshell announce, uh, announcement after bombshell announcement, and it's, it's like it comes in an email, a WFG play card. It's mentioned in the conference call. 
or to mention like once over the course of a three-day convention and just sort of gets lost in the noise. Um, I think the company hasn't been very good at announcing the great stuff that we're doing both for our clients and our agents since Paul Minnick left the company. Paul Minnick, at the end of his career with us, was unbelievable at promoting all the good things the company was doing. And since Paul left, we've done a horrible job of that. And I brought that up to Tom, and he said, replacing Paul's position, hiring a new director of marketing is his first big hiring assignment as president of the company, and it's one he's not going to blow. He's put tremendous time and energy into the search for the next director of marketing, and he's a man that based on my experiences with him so far, based on the experiences of Ed and Rich and others that I trust immensely in this area, and their feedback on him, I think he's going to nail that. And I think when he nails that position, that's going to be a huge boost as far as us marketing, not only internally to our agents, but I think externally to who we are in the marketplace. The second big hire right behind that is he's in the process of hiring a new social media director. And that person's objective is going to take is going to be to take our messaging, both for our agents and our messaging for our clients and prospective clients, and using social media, make it bigger, louder, bolder than it's ever been before. And to give each and every agent the tools to be able to co-brand with great social media. And I want you to just think about this. I want you to think about, well, we did this last year. Grant Cardone got on stage and he called a shot last year, and immediately everybody posted something on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and we were like, for a moment there, we were like the number one trending thing on, actually, I think we were number two. I think there was something big that went down politically like the same day. I think we were number two. But like number two in the, in the world as far as what was trending on social media. With a company our size with forty-five or 50,000 agents, there's a real power to having the right person in a social, as a social media director that creates the right branding and it gets everybody on the same page. And when we're all communicating together at the same time and communicating the same message, we can make an unbelievably powerful impact on the, on the, on the marketplace in our country, in North America, in the marketplace in our community, in the marketplace that affects our offices. And that's how, there's a magic in the bigness and the boldness of it. I, I think back to a time in our company's history. This is golly, probably 10 years ago. And the company came out with this trifold brochure, and it was called Breaking the Mold. And it was a bold and aggressive brochure that basically said, hey, we're not an upstart company anymore. We're not independent. We're part of a big company called Transamerica right now. We've, uh, we're not a little upstart company that's just sort of dabbling in this stuff like, Look at what we've achieved so far in our company's history. We're one of the biggest, baddest companies out there. And it's a matter of playing offense, not playing defense. And I really believe with the new director of marketing, with the new social media director, the direction the company is going, you're going to see the company playing way more offense than it's ever played in our 29-year history. And I think what, what my hope is, and this is what I was talking to Tom about, like, I'm going to play offense. Like, I've had too much success here. I've had too many experiences. I've seen too much. 
Dan's going to play offense. Nikki's going to play offense. Mark's going to play offense. Rachel's going to play offense. Michael's going to play offense. But the question is, is are 80% of your teams going to play offense? Or if they've got a spouse or parents or a boss or a colleague from work or a neighbor or an in-law or something like that who's sort of giving them the business and chewing on them about WFG, are they immediately going to retreat and play defense or are they going to play offense? And I think the fact of the matter is for most of your agents, for 80% of your agents, they're probably going to be playing a little bit of defense. They're probably going to be retreating a little bit. They're, they're probably going to be taking it a little bit. They're probably going to be letting this guy poke him in the chest a little bit. But I believe this over the course of the next six months with our branding, with where we're going, and with the kind of stats that, what, the kind of stats that I went through earlier about our income achievements, what if those kinds of stats were coming out on, on almost a daily basis through social media? What if they weren't just coming out to our agents? What if they were coming out to the whole country? What if it was coming out from a credible company like Transamerica and it had the right meme and the right picture and the right, the right, and the right video to it, or right, the right presentation of it? What if it was orchestrated and there's a series of them that came out over a 15, 30, 45-day period of time? Like, what would that do not only for the way people perceive us in the marketplace, but what would that do as far as giving your 80% of your agents the confidence to go, no, you're not sticking your finger in my chest. I'm the bully. I'm sticking my finger in your chest. You're not going to push me around because I've got the facts and I know what the facts are and you're wrong. And the sooner you learn the facts, the sooner you'll change your position about what I'm doing and what I'm a part of. And that is the era that we're about to go into. No more playing defense for 80% of your guys. No more like, oh, somebody says something. You're like, oh, nobody trying to go, oh, man, we're Transamerica because they're a little bit afraid of uttering the words WFG. There's going to be a pride in putting on the WFG jersey. People are going to know what it means to play for that team. People are going to take great pride in saying world financial group, WFG, that's who I'm a part of because of who we're going to be in the marketplace and how they're going to feel about being a part of that team. At the time, I'm unbelievably excited about where the company is going. Now, the question is, is you look back, you look back <clears throat> over where we've been. Last year, we did about $800 million in commissions. Tom believes in this next year, we can do, pay out $1 billion in commissions. So I want you to think about that. What does that mean? That means that the expectation, and he's not a goal setter, he's a goal hitter. He's the kind of guy that, like, literally, if you look through his credentials, it's, like, stupid how many things he's achieved over his career. It's, like, stupid. If the company's going to pay out 20% more in commissions over the course of the next year, well, what does that look like for you, Nikki? What do you, what do, you do? You go from 300 to 360? Not a bad year. Maybe you don't keep up with the company. Maybe you only go from three to 350. Maybe you're able to grow at a little bit faster rate than the company. So instead of going from three to 360, maybe you go from three to four and a quarter. Or mark on stuff the same. Or Rachel and Q going from 250, and if you grow at 20%, that's 300. Maybe you outperform the company a little bit, and you go to 325. Maybe it's somebody like Michael and Yvonne, you know, and they're at one and a quarter. What does 20% growth mean on that? That means 175. One, there's a big difference, a big difference between earning $175,000 a year and $125,000. I promise you there is. Big difference. 
Maybe for some of you that are at your watch, it's the difference between, you know, uh, you know maybe you're going to grow a little bit faster than the company because of where you're positioned, and you go from 50 to 100 or 100 and a quarter. Or maybe your team size goes from uh, 10 showing up to now you've got 18 showing up. <clears throat> the goal is over the next three years to get to $3 billion in commissions, $3 billion. That's growth of about 350%. 350%. For Nikki and Mark, growing by 350%, you're knocking on the door of a million bucks a year over the next three years. A million bucks a year, $80,000 a month in income. You know, I look at Jim or Michael and Yvonne or Sabrina or Daniel or Evan and Lizzie or some of you others. I mean, some of you are going to go from, you know, 75, 100, 125 to 3, 350, 400, 500 over the next three years. If you grow with the company or even just a little bit behind, some of you I know will grow a little bit faster than anything. I just know where you're at. I know what you're capable of. I know what's happening for you right now. Some of you that are up and coming will go from 25 or 20 or 30 right now to all of a sudden you're at one and a quarter and 150 and 175. It's crazy the kind of growth that's about to happen for us. I want to summarize with a couple of things going on right now. And I apologize because I'm going to go a little bit over. Um, at the core of what we do for the consumer, at the core of what we do for the consumer, we've got hundreds of companies on our platform, hundreds and hundreds of products available and services available for our consumer. The number one product based on the markets that we're in and the needs of those markets is a IUL, an Index Universal Life Policy. It's not right for everybody. I, nobody gets more frustrated than I do by selling an IUL to the wrong person or selling it as it's the answer to everything. It's the cure for cancer. All you need is an IUL. No matter what your age is, no matter what your needs are for life insurance, no matter what, no matter what it's the answer. Like Nobody gets more irritated than I do by that. That's a misuse of the product and a misunderstanding of the product, and it's misguided. But when you're in the right markets, it's certainly the greatest needed product and the most utilized uh, product in the marketplace. I want to just touch on that for a second because like I was talking about the achievements of our company, oftentimes we get disillusioned. We're so familiar with the IUL that we take it for granted. So I just want to go through real quickly and remind you what this thing really does, just this one product, just this one product. Not the magic of all the things we do for clients, but just this one product because sometimes we take it for granted because we're so aware of it. But remember hearing about it for the first time, how you felt? And what about your clients that hear about it for the first time? So I want you to think about this. Here's the magic of this product. You have tax-deferred growth. So if, if I invest $100 in a year from now in a, just a traditional mutual fund, a year from now my investment grows to $120, i am going to pay capital gains on the 20 If from year t uh, after year one to year two it grows by another $20, I'm going to grow pay, pay capital gains on that 20 to year two to year three grows by another 20. I had to pay capital gains on that. So every year I need to keep paying capital gains on that growth. The IUL, there's no tax-deferred growth. I'm not being taxed year after year after year on the growth of it. There's tax-free transfers. What do I mean? If I'm in a 
group of Oppenheimer funds, and I want to switch just traditional mutual funds, naked mutual funds, and I want to, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I want to move my investments from Oppenheimer growth funds to Oppenheimer value funds. There are fees and taxes that are involved in doing that. Most people aren't aware of those, don't see how they're being paid, but there's, uh, there's taxation in the transference of one fund to another fund within the same fund family. In an IUL, you transfer from a one-year to a three-year to a five-year bucket. There's no, ta there's, there's no taxation on those transfers. You have an income tax-free death benefit, an income tax-free death benefit. What do, what do I mean by that? At the end, when you pass away, all of that money that's in there gets paid out to your beneficiaries, and they pay no income taxes on that whatsoever. They pay no income taxes on that whatsoever. And then there's tax advantage distributions. Unlike any other retirement plan available, other than a Roth IRA, when you put money into an index universal life policy and you use it to supplement your retirement, you pull money out at a later time, when you take it out properly, you are not going to pay taxes on any of that income. So there's tax-deferred growth, there's tax-free transfers, there's income tax-free death benefit. Hey, if you build up a bunch of money in a mutual fund or a 401k, there's no income tax-free death benefit. There's income taxes that are going to be owed on that, that are going to be due on that. You've got tax-deferred growth, tax-free transfers, an income tax-free death benefit, and you've got tax advantage distributions. Now on top of all that, I want you to think about this. You've got indexed growth. What does indexed growth mean? I had no idea in 1999 when I joined because there weren't any indexed growth products available. But what that means in today's market with today's products that you've got available to you is zero downside risk. No matter how many times the market moves down or how far it moves down or how unexpectedly it moves down or how fast it moves down, you're guaranteed by contract not to lose any of your investments or any of the growth on those investments. You're guaranteed by contract not to lose anything. And yet when the market goes up, no matter how unexpectedly it goes up or how long it goes up or how fast it goes up or how far it goes up, your money is guaranteed by contract to grow with the market. So you've got no downside risk and you've got growth just like the equity markets. Many of these products that we offer over the past 20 years have averaged anywhere from a 7 to 9% rate of return over a 20-year period of time that included some pretty bad times in the marketplace. So you've got all the tax advantages plus all of the growth benefits plus all of the downside protection, plus you've got, the, uh, you've got a flexible premium. Your premium can change month to month or year to year. You've got a death benefit. What does a death benefit mean? If I'm saving money in a mutual fund or a retirement plan for a couple of years and God forbid something happens to me, all that my spouse or my family is going to get is however much I saved. If you put that same money in an IUL and after a couple of years you've got ten or twelve or $15,000 in there, your spouse or your children or your family or your beneficiaries, they're likely to get a quarter of a million or a half a million or $750,000 back. So they're going to get exponentially more than you've saved in this product. And no other long-term savings or retirement plan can they do that. So you've got this exponential leverage. And then lastly, there's these, long, there's these living benefit riders and long-term care riders. I think all too often we take for granted just how unbelievable this product is and just what it can do for individuals and families. 
And at the core of what you're doing, you're sitting down with families. And if you're in the right markets, and I emphasize that, boy, with just two, three, four sales a month, you can make an incredible income. When you build just a really small team, like your team can build a small, uh, a pretty incredible income. So there's actually an income calculator on my WFG. I know many people don't use it. I'm going to use it real briefly. Okay, and so I'm going to say that you have zero teammates, and so your team is making zero sales per month, and you're making two sales per month. If you're making two two average sales per month of an IUL in the United States, we're going to pay you one thousand nine hundred sixty-seven dollars a month, or twenty-three thousand dollars a year on a part-time basis, making two average size IUL sales a month. Not two average sales, not two term sales, not two thousand dollar a month IUL sales, two average size, like two hundred twenty dollar a month IUL sales. Now here's what's neat because because of the way we're paid with earns and renewals and trails, in your second year at the same pace, you learn three thousand one hundred and five dollars a month or thirty seven thousand dollars a year. That's a game changer for many of your part timers. Like what do you do like sometimes we overcomplicate things. What are you doing to, to help your part timers sell two two hundred and twenty dollar a month IULs every month? Is that a focus of yours? Like if they're putting an extra fifteen hundred or two thousand or even after splitting it with a field trainer, if they're not validated yet, even if they're just taking home an extra thousand, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred dollars a month while they're getting validated, like think of what that does for them going to convention, think of that what that does for them coming to the next meeting, think of what that does for them being excited about bringing a guest. What if you increase it to three personal sales a month? You go to three personal sales a month, you're at $2,950 a month. You're at $2,950 a month by making three $220 a month sales. In year two, you're at $4,658. Now let's look at the power of a team. You get one teammate on your team, and that one teammate makes two sales a month. That's it. That's it. So you're making three sales a month, $220 a month sales. Your whole team, is, you've got a team of one. They're making two sales a month. Immediately your, your income goes to $3,826 a month or forty-five grand a year. Here's what I can tell you. 95% of your part-timers, if you can somehow teach them to find and close three small IUL sales a month, and help them get one teammate who makes two sales a month, 95% of your part-timers have replaced their income at their job and their full-time. Well, what if I've got big goals? What if I grow my team to two people? So now I've got two people making two sales a month, and I'm making three. Now your income's at 4700 a month or $56,000 a year. What if I'm really explosive and I get my team to four people, and what are these four people doing? They're making two sales a month. So your whole team is making eight sales a month. You're making three sales a month. Uh, that puts you at 6500 bucks a month, $6,455 a month, $77,000 a year. What if I grow it to five people on my team? At five people on your team making two sales a month, and you're making three sales, so you've got a team doing 10 sales a month, you're at $7,300 a month. What if I increase that to 15 sales, 15 small apps, 15 $220 a month apps inside of my little team, and I keep making three sales a month, 
I want you to listen to me on this. I want you to write this in your notes. My team is writing 15 apps a month, $220 a month apps. So that could be three people writing five apps a month. It could be five people writing three apps a month. It could be seven people writing two apps a month. And you're writing three apps a month. So your team is doing 15 apps a month, right? Like three and a half, four apps a week. Small ones, $220 a month apps, and you're writing three apps a month. We'll pay you $13,900 a month in year one or $166,000 that year. In year two, we'll pay you $21,950 a month or $263,394 a year. For doing what? For you having a team, uh, you having a small team, a very small team that's writing 15 apps a month at about $220 a month, and you're writing three sales a month. We're in a business of helping clients with this product and building teams of people that help. Sometimes we're a lot closer to doing something big, to changing our lives, to transforming our lives on a really massive level than we realize. Sometimes we're so much closer. Sometimes we just overcomplicate and overthink things. If you're full-time, if you're part-time, what should I be doing? Like if you look at the context of your entire week, you need to find a guest or two to come to the meeting, a guest or two to come to the meeting and learn about what I just shared with you on this morning's call. You need to find an individual or two that you can sit down with who's in the market and could benefit from a product like our IUL. Like, if you're, like despite all the noise, if you've got a guest or two that come into your Tuesday or Wednesday night meeting or your Thursday afternoon meeting, you've got a guest or two personally that's coming to your Saturday morning meeting, you're out across the kitchen table each week helping a client or two start some sort of $200, $250 a month savings plan using an IUL, like, you can't grow a business, you can't transform your life faster than that. Because the amount of income, the amount of confidence, the amount of excitement, now all of a sudden you're making money, now all of a sudden your part-time's making money, now you've got two part-timers, now you've got three part-timers, now they're making money, they're bringing guests like, I just want to share with you, I've been here 20 years. 20 years ago we used to talk about a time in an era like this when the company had its act together, when the resources were there, when the technology was there, we, we had no idea what technology was capable of. We didn't even, like, we, we, we used to have these wild talks that sounded so far-fetched about online applications and how quickly we could be paid and how we could network and connect with so many more people in, with such little time. And we didn't even understand how social media or the Internet or cell phones or smartphones would be able to impact all that. But it was people with big visions that were sharing ideas at the time. And time, many of the technologies that today have delivered on those ideas didn't even exist. But somebody had a vision of what it was going to look like for us in the future in this company. And that, that vision they had for us, that future, is now it's today. And the company's grown like crazy the past five, six, seven years. And right now, we're positioning ourselves for the kind of explosive growth that the company has never seen before. And we're going to have the structure and the systems and the support in place to do it like we've never done before. This is a time 
to get clear on what your goals are and to be reading them every single morning, first thing when you wake up. It's time to get clear on like, hey, what I'm going to do here. And if I'm not going to do it here, what other company is going to give me the kind of chance that I just described? This company is going to take off. I, you know, I had a client walk into my office two days ago. It was a client that rolled up to me because somebody quit. And so he rolled up to me, never met the guy before. He didn't call to set an appointment. He just showed up in the lobby. Um, and so I met with him. And as I'm talking to him about this investment that he placed with us 20 years ago and trying to do some research and make some calls and go online and find out what's happened to this account, where it's at, what can I do for him, towards the end he starts talking to me. He goes, do you know who Guillermo Mahal is? I go, yeah. He goes, you're kidding. I go, no. He goes, do you know who, is he still here? I go, yeah. He goes, do you know who Dan Shirley is? I go, yeah. He goes, what about that in my life? I go, yeah. He's like, yeah, like 20 years ago when I got this, when I started this investment, or this, he goes, I, I was in an office working with them. I, I, they recruited me. That's when I bought the products, and then I sort of quit the company. And I was just looking at the guy. I was looking at how his investment with us grew over the past 20 years. But I was looking at where a bunch of the people were 20 years ago. Where was Guillermo? Where was Ed? Where was Dan? And where are they now? And where was this guy in his life 20 years ago, and where is he now? And he's gotten 20 years older, just like all of us have. But as I got to know him and I found out what his station is in life and where he's at in life, like his investment has grown a lot more than he has. His circumstances, his life hasn't changed that much in the past 20 years, not for the better. Had he stayed here, I don't know how much money he would have made. I don't know how big his team would have been, but I know this he would have transformed his life in meaningful ways had he stuck with us for the 20-year ride. He would have been a completely different man looking at life in a completely different way, having completely different experiences, resources, and circumstances in his life. You're in the right place at the right time with the right leadership. It's the right economy. It's the right market. We've got the right products, the right services. Don't be one of those people like him that gets distracted misses a meeting, accidentally misses two. Next thing you know, you're, you don't even feel like coming to the meetings anymore. Your head starts getting filled with doubt. People start getting in your ear about wasting time or what are you doing this. And next thing you know, you're running across us three years later, five years later, after we've been through this massive growth and we're paying out $5 billion in commissions. And the people on this call, their incomes have skyrocketed, and it's passive, and it's residual, and their teams have skyrocketed, and they're growing and living their best life. And you're looking back, and it's like you're almost embarrassed to bump into them in the grocery store. Like you choose to stop following them on Instagram and Facebook because it's just too painful. Don't miss your moment. Don't get distracted. This is a time to double down. It's time to reinvest. It's time to recommit to where you want to go with your life for you and your family, and to hang on tight to the leadership that's available to you and around you in your local offices, and to not let go no matter what goes on in your business or in your own personal life. Hang on for dear life and work with us and get fixated on where is it you want to be 20 years from now. Because I guarantee you, that guy 20 years ago wasn't planning on being where he is today. That wasn't the plan. That wasn't the goal. He just sort of wound up there. Don't let that happen to you. You're in the right place at the right time, and you've got what it takes to do something special with us. If you give us enough time and give us a chance to keep working with you and working on you. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys a ton. Let's kill it in July, and let's kill it in the second half of the year.